All right, go ahead and go to Second Samuel tonight. Second Samuel, we're going to read a passage of scriptures on starting in chapter one and verse seventeen. Second Samuel, chapter one and verse seventeen. We're going to see a statement used a few times in this passage where I get the title of my message. It's a very uh, pretty well-known passage, one that you've probably heard many times. It's, it's a pass, it's a it's a phrase that's from the Bible, but uh, world's even kind of picked up on it. And you'll kind of you'll every once in a while you'll hear this phrase used in the world. You might hear it amongst the political world. Sometimes you I've heard it even in the sports world. This phrase that we're going to look at, but Second Samuel chapter one, verse seventeen says, and David lamented with the lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. This was right after um, Jonathan and Saul were killed in the battle and David's upset by this. And he bade him teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon. Let the daughters of the Philistines uh, rejoice lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wilt slain in thy high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perish. Anybody catch the phrase in there that's pretty well known? What is that? How the how are the mighty fallen? And we've all heard that before. When you see someone great and they fall, you know, you, people will make that statement. And of course, you know, in the political world or in the sports world especially, you know, that day is going to come for all of them. You know, that these athletes, no matter how good they are, no matter how great they are, Eventually, they're going to get old and somebody's going to overthrow them. And then you, you kind of hear that phrase. And it's always sad when that happens with somebody. But obviously, we're not going to talk about you know political leaders or uh, athletes tonight. But I want to talk about what made them fall. Because he asked that question, how are the mighty fallen? And obviously, you know, we know how Paul fell. He was first, he was wounded with archers. And it mentions how uh, David ended up teaching him the use of the bow. It's mentioned in the book of Jasher. I think he did that because of what ended up bringing about their defeat. In that battle, um, but at the same time, it's very clear when you study the life of Saul why he fell. He was someone who was greatly used of God, a very great man, and his. I've always been kind of fascinated with Saul. I think he's. I think he's an interesting character, and I personally believe that Saul was. He was kind of somebody who he was doomed and destined to fail. Saul was exactly what Israel wanted. Saul was exactly what they asked for. God gave Israel exactly what they, what they asked for and what they wanted. And it was not what they needed at all. And it was like God did that for 40 years. God gave them what they wanted. 
to show them, you know what? Okay, fine, I'll give you what you want for 40 years, but then after that, we're going to get who I want. And so they did. They got Saul, and then God gave David a man after his own heart. But he did. He fell here. And sadly, we see many times in the Christian life, good Christians, strong Christians, people who once stood for God, people, you know, maybe a preacher who was once a great preacher, one who was a great man of God who, who falls, who falls into sin. We see that with Christians, people in church, church members that one time were good, faithful, loyal, effective members in a church that, I mean, just made a difference, that helped people. They were on fire for God. They were, a, they were a help to the church and they fell. And you see that and it's always a sad thing when you see somebody fall into sin, when you see him backslide, when you see him get away from God. It's a sad thing. And I think if we look at the life of Saul we can, and we look and see how he fell, we find out that's how many Christians fall today. And we definitely want to avoid these things. But this passage that we read, it's, it's a lamentation. David, you know, he's lamenting the fact this Saul and Jonathan are dead. He's, you know, these are two people that he loved that had fallen. You know, Saul, who was kind of, you know, you would think David would have looked at him as an enemy. I mean, because Saul was pretty mean to David, wasn't he? Saul tried to kill him multiple times, but David loved Saul. David was very loyal to Saul. And when that statement, how are the mighty fallen? You know, it's one we still use it today. And when, you know, when somebody... You know, and especially when somebody falls in kind of a big way too. You know, whenever they really get in trouble, you'll kind of hear that. You know, sometimes it's used when great men of God fall into sin. Uh, you know, when a great athlete's defeated. In the case of Saul and Jonathan, I think he's saying it here too, not because of Saul's spiritual fall, but I think he was saying it with them because these were two mighty warriors that had fallen. Both of these men, we see stories of Saul and Jonathan, it's clear they were great warriors. Jonathan, you might remember that one story where I forgot how many men it was that he killed all by himself. He had his armor bearer that kind of went after him and would finish the people off. I think it was like 20-some guys he took out all at once. I can't remember what the number was, but it was pretty It was pretty good. I was just reading that story the other day. And, you know, a mighty warrior, but he got defeated in this battle. And when we look in the Bible at what caused the fall of Saul, we will, we'll see this what causes the fall of of many people today. I mean, I'm sad by how many you know preachers I've known in the past that I looked up to and admired that now, boy, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cross the street to go here and preach. That I never, you know, I, there was a time I would have been honored to have them come here at our church and have them preach, but now I wouldn't have them say a prayer. I mean, just that's how that's how far they've gone down. But let's look at Saul and find out why. He fell because we need to avoid this in our own lives. I'm thankful for all of you that are here today. But you know what? If you all aren't careful, there could be a day where we, you know, we're looking and we're out and about and we see you maybe on a Sunday night instead of being in church, walking into a bar. And, you know, we're not going to say it, but we're going to think that, you know, how are the mighty fallen? Man, those people used to be good church members. Those people used to be faithful to the house of God. They loved the Lord. They were a good example. But now, you know, there they are, you know, living a life of sin, not doing anything for anybody. And I don't, I don't want to see that with all of you. I've seen enough of that kind of thing in my life. I don't want to see it. I don't want you to see it with me. I mean, I, I'm, I, you know, I think it would break your heart if you saw that with me one of these days. You know, saw me, the guy who always ran his mouth about that stuff. Hey, and that could happen. If I do what Saul did, that could be me. 
And we need to have that attitude. This could be any of us in this room if we're not careful. And so look at, let's look at a few things about Saul and his life. Look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. And this is, uh, says, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, It is not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance. When thou art departed from me today, when thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say unto thee, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found. And lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and there shall meet thee three men going up to God, to Bethel, one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee, and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. After that, thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistine, and it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. Notice all these instructions he's given him. He's getting real specific, telling him all these things that are going to happen. And this is Samuel. He's a prophet of God. You know, and he's, he's telling all these things to Saul. And I think it's a way, too, to show that, hey, this is of God, what's going on. And he said, you're going to see this, you're going to prophesy, and you're going to become another man. Verse 7 says, And let it be when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days thou shalt tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him and the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass when all that knew him before time saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said one to another, what is this that has come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And one of the same place answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? Look here in this story how God changed Saul. The Spirit of God came on Saul. God noticed too how Saul, he wasn't looking to be king. Saul had no interest in becoming king. Nobody in Israel was asking Saul to be king. God came along and God picked Saul. God gave him a new heart. God gave him the ability to prophesy. God, the Spirit of God, it came upon Saul. It's very clear that what made Saul great was God, wasn't it? We don't see anything special about Saul before this story until God gave, gave, brought His Spirit upon him. So God gave him these wonderful gifts and it's very clear that we see that Saul forgot why he had everything he had. You know, if we're not careful as Christians, we'll forget why, why we're where we're at. We see in the Bible where it talks about those you know, who have forgotten that they were purged from their own sins. It's amazing how many Christians have forgotten what they were saved from. It's, it's sad how quickly we forget you know, the fact that we were once lost and that we were on our way to hell and we deserved every bit of it. 
We we deserve to be in hell. Many people, they before they got saved, they were living a life of sin. They were in trouble. Maybe they were in trouble with the law. They were having financial troubles, marriage troubles, every kind of trouble you can think of. And then God saved them. The Holy Spirit indwelt them. And the Lord changed their life. And all of a sudden, things God started blessing their life. And then somewhere along the lines, many times, Christians, they forget where they came from. They forget why they are blessed the way they are blessed. They forget about God and what He's done for them. And then what happens? They end up backsliding, don't they? And we see that happen throughout the Old Testament with Israel, where they would, you know, they would get in trouble. They would turn to God. God would bless them. Things would start going good. And then they would forget. They would forget about God. And then they'd get in trouble again. And that happens all the time in the Bible. It happens all the time amongst God's people today. They forget why they have everything they have. We forget that it's God that gave us our talents and our abilities. We start thinking that maybe we accomplished what we accomplished you know, by our own skill, by our own talents, forgetting the fact that it was God that gave them to us. You know, It was God that gave Saul his kingdom. It was God that gave Saul his abilities. Saul by himself was nothing. But when God came on him, he became something great. He was a great man. He was a great king. Notice all the people that knew Saul. When they saw him prophesying, they're like, wait a minute. You know, what's going on here? This wasn't the Saul that they knew. Why? Because the Saul from before, he was he was nothing. He wasn't somebody notable. He wasn't one that they looked at as a prophet. But when God came on him, there he is prophesying. And it amazed the people. So it's very clear that all the good things that we see about Saul in his life, everything that God gave him, it was, it was a gift from God that had nothing to do with Saul. And sadly, Saul forgot about that. And we're going to see another verse here in a little bit that shows that. But look at 1 Samuel 13. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 13. Now this happens a lot of times too. This happens with Christians. This happens with preachers all the time. There are many preachers that, you know, God starts to use them in a great way. They'll, their churches grow. They'll have a big church. They'll become well-known. And the very thing we see Saul do, we see pastors do this kind of thing all the time. And Christians and churches do this type of thing too. But look what it says in 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. And notice, I've said this before. So I'm not a big numerology person. But 13 in the Bible. 13 and rebellion just seem to go hand in hand. And 1 Samuel, or Samuel 13... Verse 13, look what it says. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly that thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which He commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue, for the Lord has sought a man, him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that commandment which the Lord had commanded. He noticed that Saul, he has rebelled in the story. Saul did not follow the command that God gave uh, that God gave him to follow. We see in this story, we don't have time to read all the things, but he started offering offerings in a way that was contrary to the law. What Saul was kind of doing, if you read this chapter, he's kind of making up his own rules. He's make, he's coming up with his own. He's he's doing stuff that you and I would look at and say, well, man, giving offerings to God, making sacrifices to God, that sounds pretty good. But do you understand they, they had a method for that? There were ways that God told them to do it that were very specific. In fact, if you go back in, um, uh, I think it might have been Leviticus chapter 10, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, God, He lays out very 
specific instructions for these offerings. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they offered strange fire before the Lord. They did not follow the procedure that God gave and fire came out of the altar and consumed them. God was angry that they did not obey those things. You know, we forget about that. You know, now that we are in, you know, we're in the new, this New Testament era where Jesus Christ, you know, he was the perfect sacrifice where we don't have to make sacrifices anymore. We don't realize just, you know, how much, uh, you know, grace God gives us and how, you know, we're not getting consumed by fire all the time because the blood of Christ, you know, it cleanses us. Jesus Christ, he's our advocate. But back then, boy, they got in a lot of trouble for not doing these things right. And Saul was kind of just making up his own rules. Now, what made him think he could do that? Well, you know, Saul's becoming powerful. Saul's pretty, you know, he's, he is now the king. He's had some victories. These victories we see, I wish we had time to go through all of Saul's life. We don't have time, but I mean, it's, it went to his head. It clearly went to his head. And we see that sometimes with Christians that they will, you know, they'll have some victories in their life. God will bless them and they'll start looking and thinking, I'm doing pretty good. You know, and when you're, you know, and I, I think about this as a church planner too, you know, when you are starting a church, okay, and I, I knew this before I started, but I know it way better now, five years into this, you understand just how important it is that you need God on your side. And so you get real meticulous sometimes in going into the Bible and asking, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? You know, you find yourself doing a lot of praying, Lord, am I doing what you want me to do? You know, you, I, you find yourself trying to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit because you do. You know, you're, you feel very dependent on God's blessing. But what can happen sometimes, you know, the Lord, He'll bless. He'll see that. The Lord will start blessing. And then what happens to people sometimes, all of a sudden they get big and they forget that it's, no, God did that for you. And they're thinking, man, I know what I'm doing. And they start making up their own rules. They'll start preaching things that don't necessarily line up with the Bible. They'll start doing, you know, having methods and practices in the church that, you know, you can't find a scripture in the Bible that maybe flat out says you shouldn't do that kind of thing. But they just kind of make up their own rules. Just kind of doing their own thing because they think they can and and understand that we need to make sure that we remember why we got where we were and we do it by following the Word of God. And even if, listen, we can't, could, I, I'm just going to tell you right now, I believe we could build a bigger church by doing our own thing. So what makes you say that? Look at all the charismatic churches, how big those places are. They're just doing those own things. If I just went and started reading all the Rick Warren books and the Joel Osteen methods and start doing all those things, I think we could have a bigger group of people. But is God going to be pleased with that? Absolutely not. And are we even really a church in that case? No, we're not. And many times people do, you know, they, they forget about that stuff. And they do, they start making up their own rules. I mean, I look at the stuff that goes on in these churches. And I'm just like, what, what makes these people think they can do that? You know, what, what makes people think they can baptize babies? You know, when you read it, who gave somebody the right? Who was the first one to sprinkle somebody in baptism? Who was the first one to do that? Where did they, what made them think they can do that? You know, the way people treat the Lord's Supper in churches sometimes. What makes people think they can do things that way? You know, when you see 
what the Bible teaches about fornication and about keeping that and adultery and keeping that kind of stuff out of the church and the way that it is just accepted. What makes people think that they can allow, you know, that they can ordain a homosexual to be a pastor of a church? What makes them think they can do that? And, and you know what what got them what got that attitude in their head? And you know why people think they can do it? They think they can do it because people aren't looking for God's approval or God's approval. They're looking for man's approval. And as long as they've got a bunch of people surrounding them, telling them you're good, you're okay, that's all they're looking for. And you know what? Saul he did. He had his following. He had his people that were loyal to him, and it went to his head. He's like these politicians. You know, he's like. You know, Mitt Romney. I, I, I'm not a Mitt Romney fan. And you know, and, and I, I, I'm not a Trump defender necessarily. But you know, when Mitt Romney came out against Trump, I was like, who does this guy think he is? Nobody likes him. He couldn't even beat Obama to become president. And here he comes and he's thinking he's going to get Republicans to not vote for Trump. Who does this guy think he is? And I remember watching him. And I'm thinking, how arrogant this man is. How, you know, deluded he is. How out of touch with reality this guy is. He is helping Donald Trump because everybody hates Mitt Romney. But, you know, I realized when I was watching that, there was all these people there cheering him on. Telling him how great he was. And it just kind of hit me. These people, they surround themselves with their little their followers. They surround themselves with their little yap dogs, as I like to call them. They go around singing their praises and they live in this bubble where they are the king and they don't even realize that most of the world can't stand them. And I watched that and I thought, you know, what a moron. And you know what? It didn't work, did it? Even a supposed prominent Republican, a well-respected Republican, couldn't even keep him from getting elected. And to this day, he probably still doesn't realize that everybody knows he's a moron. I mean, a Mormon or both. <laughs> just, yeah, it just, it, that's how to touch these people. Are. And there's a lot of preachers like that too. They surround themselves with these people that just sing their praises all the time and it goes to their head. We see that other people do the same thing too. They go in their little, you know, a, a, a world where people are going to today is their little Facebook worlds. You know, their little social media worlds where they surround themselves with their friends who would never say anything against them. Who no matter how foolish they're being, they will sing their praises and tell them they're great. Tell them you do your own thing. And these people will go and they will just make some of the most foolish mistakes you've ever heard of. Do some of the most foolish things you can imagine. And they think they are totally confident because they've got their people they're surrounded with singing their praises, telling them it's okay. You know, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. You know, some woman, she's having trouble with her husband or something and she'll get in her little Facebook world and she'll be talking to all her friends. My husband's terrible. My, my husband stinks. My, my husband, you know, he, he's never laid a hand on me, but I want to be able to use the word abuse. So I'm going to say he's emotionally abusive. And then all her friends, they get on there. Oh, you poor thing. You know, you need to ditch that guy. You need to leave that guy. You have biblical grounds for divorce. And they'll, you know, they won't give any scripture for how, why she does. But they'll give all these, they'll say all these things. And here these people do. They go literally rebelling against God. And they have no idea they're rebelling against God. Because they have, they've resorted into this world where they are king where they make their own rules. 
And Saul, here he is, he's actually a king in Israel, but he forgot that, you know what? He wasn't above God. He was not above the law of God. You know, Israel was not meant to be ruled over by a king. It was, it was the people that wanted a king. God didn't want a king. They were supposed to be ruled over by the law. And even though God allowed them to have a king, that king should have followed the laws of God. He had no right to go against the laws of God, but he lived in that little bubble and he thought he was okay and he made up his own rules and it got him in trouble. He was rebelling. Look what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15. So he gets called out by Samuel, but you know, it doesn't help him much here. And you all know this story. Uh, God wanted us. Uh, God wanted Saul to go destroy the Amalekites. God wanted to, he, they were, he was supposed to kill all of them. They were supposed to kill all the animals. They were not supposed to take anything from there. But it says in 1 Samuel 15 verse 9, Saul keeps making up his own rules. And it says, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and of all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. God said utterly destroy them. But Saul did not utterly destroy them. But wait a minute, it was for good reason. Okay? It was for good reason. We're going to see, we're going to find out why he did it. He had the best of intentions. And isn't that what's important? As long as your intentions are good, as long as you're sincere, does it really matter which God you're following as long as you're sincere? You know, who are we to say, you know, all the Muslims are going to hell when, you know, as long as they're sincere, you know, and how do you get any more sincere than blowing yourself up? You know, I mean, that's the way a lot of people think today. But let's keep reading. It says, uh, you didn't utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and, and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. You know, they, uh, they destroyed what nobody would want. And then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, uh, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then this, or what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul, he's so messed up, he thinks he obeyed God when he didn't. And it says in verse 15, And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Here's why he did it, folks. To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. We did this because we wanted to sacrifice unto God. I'm so, you know, I love God so much. I'm, you know, I disobeyed Him so I can give God something better. You know, that's how these people are too. A lot of these pe preachers today that are just twisting the Bible into things, you know, they, they try to say, I'm doing this because I love God. I'm trying to do this because I love people. And the truth is, no, they don't. They don't love God. If you, lo you, know, if you love God, you're going to keep His commandments. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, Stay and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. When he was little in his own sight, that's when God was able to use him. And the Lord sent thee 
on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen and sheep of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. He's trying to blame the people for it. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. Y'all see that? When Saul, Saul got called out, Samuel calls him out for disobeying, for being rebellious. And what did he do? Instead of repenting, he got stubborn. And we see that's how that was a big difference between Saul and David. We, you know, David did some bad things, but when David would get called out by the prophet, David would get right. You know, David would repent, and but Saul wouldn't do that. Man, he just dig his heels in, and he would he would lie, thinking if I you know, thinking his words would change reality. Kind of like a lot of Americans today. It's, uh, it's how, that's how they feel. And so you know, and then now uh, look at verse twenty four. It says, and Saul said unto Samuel. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Okay, now notice too, I don't believe that Saul's reaction here was repentance towards God. Okay, notice Saul, he's, what Saul was doing, there's a big difference, okay? You know, you've all seen this with your kids. Whenever they get busted for something, they'll start begging for mercy, not because they're sorry, but because they know they're about to get punished. And they don't want the punishment. They don't recognize the fact that they did something wrong. And that's what Saul was doing here. He's throwing a fit. He's saying he's sorry, but Saul was not sorry. Saul did not believe he had done the wrong thing, but Saul knew Samuel well enough to know that when Samuel says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And he went and he grabs him and he rents that skirt of Samuel. And it's just kind of an interesting thing when Saul or what Samuel ends up telling Saul here how God is going to rend the kingdom from thee and He's going to give it to one, someone else. Give it to someone after His own heart. I believe we can see a parallel in there of kind of what happened in Israel. Israel was often noticed, noted for their rebellion against God. They constantly rebelled against God. And the Lord, He wanted those who would worship Him in spirit and truth. And so, remember what Jesus told Israel? He said the kingdom was going to be taken from you and given to another nation. And what did God do? God took the kingdom from Samuel, that I think you can say represents Israel, and He gave it to David, a man after his own heart, who you could say represents believers today. 
those who you know, just believe God. And notice too, David wasn't perfect, was he? And are we perfect? I mean, are we much better than Israel? Okay. No, not really. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, one difference between us and, it, and Jews, are we trying to work our way to heaven? Absolutely not. We recognize that, hey, it's only by grace and we're trusted in the work of Christ. We're believing God. And, that, and you see the parallels in there. I don't have time to go into all of them. I, I think are pretty, pretty amazing when you see that there. And even just some of the wording is very similar to some of the things that God said about Israel and you know the kingdom being taken from them. It's kind of an interesting thing. But Saul's reaction, I do not believe, was real repentance. You know, the Bible talks about when Jesus Christ returns, it says they will look, look on Him on whom they pierced and they will mourn for Him. Many people try to say that when Jesus Christ returns at the rapture, that after that, you know, Israel's going to turn back to God. But I don't believe that for one second. That doesn't go along with what a lot of the Bible says. I believe they're going to mourn kind of like Saul did with Samuel. You know, yeah, they're going to mourn. They're going to say they're sorry. They don't want to suffer the wrath of God that's about to be poured out on them. But they're going to suffer the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on them. Just like Saul, even though he's kind of saying, I'm sorry, he still lost the kingdom. He still ended up being killed a while later because he was he was rebellious and he never he never really repented. But Saul's refusal to repent. Okay, and I, I hope nobody gets offended by this. We live in a world today that's full of diagnoses, and we've all got some kind of disability and disorder. And if, if you've got one of these. I'm not, I am not picking on you at all. Alright? We all have a sin nature. We all got sin problems. Alright? Nobody take this the wrong way, but I believe Saul's refusal to repent literally made him in today's terms mentally ill. And I'm going to read to you the definition of bipolar. What bipolar is considered. And Saul... If Saul lived today, he would have been diagnosed bipolar. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Look what it says. Bipolar disorder, also known as bipolar affective disorder, manic depressive disorder, manic depression, is a mental illness classified by psychiatry as a mood disorder. Individuals with bipolar disorder experience episodes of an elevated or agitated mood known as mania alternating with episodes of depression. Mania can occur with different levels of severity at milder levels of mania known as uh, hypomania. Individuals appear energetic, excitable, and they may be highly productive. As mania becomes more severe, individuals begin to behave erratically and impulsively, often making poor decisions due to unrealistic ideas about the future. And boy, there's some that. I mean, Saul, I'm going to show you some stories right there. And they may have great difficulty with sleep. At the most severe level, individuals can experience very distorted beliefs about the world known as psychosis. Individuals who experience manic episodes are also commonly experience depressive episodes. Some experience a mixed state in which features of both mania and depression are present at the same time. Manic and depressive episodes last from a few days to several months. Okay, So remember Saul, after this episode with his rebellion against God and his just refusal to repent. He does not have true repentance. We see, if you go and you read through the life, that the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. 
Okay, now this is different. Back in the Old Testament, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit like, like we do today upon salvation. We never lose the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, it would, come, it would sometimes come and it would go. It had nothing to do with salvation. And we see the Spirit of God, it left Saul and an evil spirit came and it troubled Saul. Okay, and, and don't mistake that. I do not believe that Saul lost his salvation. I believe Saul was saved and I believe he died saved. Okay, that, that's another lesson for another day. But look at 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 10. Because we're a little later now. Saul, he's rebelled. And Saul literally became crazy, you, you, some might say. Verse 10, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it, and David avoided out of his presence twice. Now let me ask you, did David deserve to have a javelin thrown at him? Now, why did Saul do that? Saul is getting troubled in his head. Why? Remember that song they sang? Saul slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. That, that drove Saul crazy. How can they say that? And David loved Saul. David was loyal to Saul. David, I mean, he fought for Saul. Saul was victorious because of David. And Saul here, he's in a horrible mood because an evil spirit's on him. And David's playing a harp, helping him out. And Saul's got a javelin in his hand and he throws it at David. Why did, why did he do that? He did not deserve that kind of treatment. He did not deserve to be killed. But Saul, Saul did it. And then he obviously gets over it. All of a sudden now things are fine. Because look at Psalm, or 1 Samuel 19 verse 9. It says, And an evil spirit from the Lord is upon Saul. And he sat in his house with a javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with a javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. And he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Boy, if I'm David, I'm, you know, before I'm playing for Saul, I'm saying, hey, uh, can you... Lose the javelin, <laughs> you know? and, but you know David was just, he was just so loyal, and here he is two times now, for no reason. He's trying to kill. Why? Because things are going on in his head. The problem, you know, it wasn't a mental disorder. We know, or as, as the world called today, he was in rebellion against God, and God sent an evil spirit to trouble him, and and Saul, he just he never gets right. And then look at chapter twenty. Somebody take the javelin away from Saul. All right, somebody did, but look at verse uh, chapter twenty, verse thirty-two. You know, Jonathan realizes that you know Saul's mad at David. They kind of come up with this plan to find out if Saul is okay with David or not. And in verse thirty-two, it says, "And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? Turns out Saul is mad at David. Saul was mad that he was gone, and because Saul had plans to kill David again. And Jonathan, he's sticking up for David." Because David hasn't done a thing. And Saul cast the javelin at him. He throws one at his own son that he loved to smite him. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger to eat no meat the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. So now he's throwing a javelin at his own son. I mean, this guy is going crazy. And think about it. Nobody was against him. 
David's not against him. Jonathan's not against him. They both love him. They're trying to help him. He is the king. Samuel loved Saul. Samuel, I mean, he cried all night when God told Samuel that he was done with Saul. Everybody loved Saul and was loyal to him, but his rebellion that he had, it took away all peace from him, and now he's attacking people that shouldn't be being attacked. He's attacking people that love him. Three times he has thrown a javelin, and thankfully, he either wasn't really good or these guys were really quick on their feet. Three times he has done this, and we see that Saul's medic, it's interesting, Saul's medication that he used for his disorder was music. Music would cause that evil spirit to go. And it was David that would play the music. It was David that would get Saul in the good mood. But boy, that evil spirit would come and he would just lose it. But you know, one thing that Saul never tried that would have been the cure for Saul's problem. And that was repentance. Because see, Saul, he was, you know, one of the things they say about those who have that disorder, they have these, you know, unrealistic ideas about the future. They behave erratically, impulsively. They make, you know, poor decisions due to those unrealistic ideas. Remember what Saul did when they were fighting the battle? And all of a sudden, he's just like, you know what? He puts the whole army on a fast. Let's all fast. The Lord, nobody's allowed to eat anything. If anybody eats anything, they're going to die. Why would you make a proclamation like that when people are fighting a battle? They need their strength. And then remember, Jonathan went and he ate some honey. And he didn't even know about the proclamation. And Saul, just to prove that you know he was a man of his word, was going to kill his own son. And thankfully, the people stopped him from doing it. But I mean, the guy was just so impulsive, he would just come up with these things out of the blue. And it's amazing some of the, with Christians, I've seen them do that. Just some of the foolish decisions they make when they get away from God. They start rebelling against God. I mean, they will just make these crazy, impulsive decisions that anybody else would look at and say, why would they do that? You know what people do when they start rebelling? They, do, they start making poor financial decisions. Oh man, I'm depressed. I'm having trouble financially. What will make me feel better? And they'll go out and they'll buy a new car. It's like, what were you thinking? They'll go deep into debt, but boy, it sure gave them a high when they bought that car. It was, it was an impulsive thing. You know, sometimes, I mean, it's, it's crazy the impulsive things that people do and that get them in trouble. And it's the result is, or the cause is rebellion. They're just being rebellious against God. The things they'll expect from other people. When people get away from God, you know what happens when you start backsliding on God? You start backsliding on God in your own personal life. You know what you're going to do? You're going to put unrealistic expectations on everybody here in the church. You're going to start getting mad at people in the church for no reason. You're going to start casting javelins at the preacher because you don't like what he's preaching. That preacher's against me. That preacher's preaching message. He's trying to nail my hide to the wall. He's trying to wreck my life. He's trying to make me miserable. You know, the people in that church, they're talking about me. The people that, you know, that people, everybody's gossiping about me. Everybody in the church hates me. They'll start imagining all these things and they'll start getting mad at everybody. And then they'll start making real impulsive decisions. You know what? I'm done. I'm, I'm out of that church. I'm going to a different church. What's, and what's the real problem? The real problem is you're not right with God. And you're imagining things. 
in your mind that everybody's saying about you, that everybody's doing, and you can't even you can't even sit in a message, you can't even sit in a service and sing a song of praise to God without sitting there just shooting darts out of your eyes at somebody across the room. Because you're thinking people are against you. And the problem is you have a rebellion problem. And until you get that rebellion problem right, you're never going to have peace. You're never going to go on, move on for God. And you know, you could say, to summarize the reign of Saul, that he defeated himself. When you see how are the mighty fallen, Saul defeated himself. We see that he got wounded by archers, but you know what? He fell on his own sword, didn't he? He, he killed himself. He may have died anyway, but at the same time, I think it's kind of fitting how he fell on his own sword and killed himself because it was Saul that destroyed himself in his life. Saul had no enemies in Israel working against him. He had people who loved him, that were loyal to him, and yet Saul lost everything and it was because, it was because of himself. And sadly, Christians today, they many times they lose everything. They're in a church where people love them and where people care about them, where there's a preacher that will preach the truth to them. Saul had Samuel in his life. A guy who wasn't scared of him. A guy who told him the truth and yet Saul still lost everything because he had a rebellion problem. Saul fell because of his own sin and many Christians today that are falling into sin, that are getting backslidden on God, it's their own fault. They'll sit around, they'll blame everybody in the church. Saul was great at pointing fingers when Samuel asked him, what's with this bleeding of the sheep? He said, well, the people took it. You know, I feared the people. Well, truth is, he was the king. He should have stood up. They would have listened to him. We don't ever see people in Israel rebelling against Saul. They would, they would, have, they would have listened to him. And people are doing that today. Preachers today, one who were, you know, who were great men who did great things, we're seeing them fall all the time. They start making up their own rules. They get lifted up with pride. They feel like they're big shots and they can just do whatever they want to do. And many times they get called out. Sadly, you know, last week I talked about that born that way ministry stuff that's being, some of the goofiness that's being taught there. And some of the preachers that were kind of promoting that stuff that I don't even think really knew what they were talking about. I think they just trusted the wrong guy. They get called. That, thankfully, preachers have been calling them out for it. And what are they doing? They're defending themselves. Being stubborn and rebellious. And you know what? They're going to fall. And we're, I'm seeing this all the time. Just you know, Preachers today, when they get called out for false teaching... They just dig their heels in. They get rebellious and they're falling left and right. And it's like they think, no, everybody's out to get me. This is an attack of the devil. Boy, the devil's attacking me right now. No. No, you're defeating yourself right now. Just like Saul. And Christians are the same way. They'll get into sin. They'll get called out for it. And they just dig their heels in deeper. And you're heading for destruction. Sadly, many people are falling today. Great preachers. Great Christians. It's not hard to trace those falls back to the same places that took King Saul on his downward spiral. It all begins when you do when you get lifted up with pride. We forget Saul when he was little in his own sight. God used him in a great way, but those victories caused him to get lifted up with pride. He got to thinking it was him that accomplished these things, and so he just started making his own rules. And as a result of that, 
God sent Samuel. He called him out. And he just dug his heels in. He, he would not repent. And he literally lost his mind. And boy, I, I've seen that story many times in churches. That people who everyone loved in the church. Everybody loved them. Especially the pastor. And yet, they, in their own insane brain, thinks that everybody hates them. And what causes that? Same thing that caused Saul's problem. They're being rebellious. And they won't get right with God. And you know what? If you're, if you're sitting here today and you know, you're thinking everybody's against you here, I'm going to tell you right now, if I can be politically incorrect, you're crazy. You know what? Snap out of it. You know, and you, nobody, nobody hates you. Nobody is against you in this church. There, there's no way. That is, that is the devil lying to you. And what you just need to do is you need to get right with God. And if you do, you'll be happier. Saul would have been happier if he had gotten right with God. The kingdom could have stayed with him and his family, but he, but he lost everything because of rebellion. So, don't let that happen to you. So with that, let's all stand together.